cash or charge? Oh, gosh. Cash, I guess. I mean, it's not deductible, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. O'Toole will take care of your needs. Boy, you know, I wish these were in color, because what I really am sort of in the mood for is a girl with green eyes. <laughs> And price is no object, Mrs. O'Toole. <laughs> Fresh off the boats the way I like them. The more exotic, the better. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from TheMoonIsDeadWorld.net and Coltsploitation.com. Joining my co-host Martin. How's it going? And uh, today we're back with a new episode, kind of stepping away from the horror stuff that we've been doing of late and heading into Kung Fu territory, someplace that we've never gone before on this show. Surprisingly. I know. We haven't done any Kung Fu movies, no Bruce Lee features, no... Fu Manchu. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, Kung Kung Fu exploitation or however you want to call it. I don't know what they call that exactly, but it's something like that. Um, yeah, we've never done it before. And it is surprising. And, well, and I would say that I am not very well versed in Kung Fu movies myself. Uh, that's one area that I really never checked into. I like some. You like I, some? You, I mean, I haven't. I, I, you're not. I'm not an expert, but the ones I've seen, I like. Yeah, I. I mean, big fan of Jackie Chan's. Yeah, but I mean, his late, his like late, not as yeah, his earlier stuff. Right? Are you talking about yeah. Police Story stuff? Like I that? love the Police Story. Right. I, I love those movies. Yeah, that's something I would love to do. Like all three. Police sure. Story movies. I mean, we we will at some point, I'm sure. But that's not that's not really kung fu. It's no, no, yeah. But I, you were saying Jackie Chan. I, I was thinking like probably not his later stuff. Like not the Rush Hour series. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> those are fun too. But the great um, Chris Tucker's finest hour. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I would say that I've never really seen. I've not. I've not seen very many kung fu movies. I've never really. I've never seen a Bruce Lee movie. Uh, that's not true. I've seen like Enter the Dragon. Yeah, I was gonna say we watched Enter the Dragon together. But other than that. I haven't seen very many of them, and uh, it's a, it's an area that I'm lacking in. Obviously, I I want to rectify that, and today I did a little bit because I've seen a movie that's been a long time coming, which I've never seen before, which is Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, and uh, that's one you know that's something that's kind of been outside of my wheelhouse, and I don't really know why, but I think it's probably just because when I think of John Carpenter, I always think of his horror movies, but he actually has a lot more of a an oeuvre than just, um, you know, horror movies. Yeah. It's, it's only a par- part of his directing and writing uh, category. Um, and I, like I was saying when we were watching Big Trouble in Little China, it does seem like, a, to me, a little bit outside of the norm for what a John Carpenter movie would be like. But then thinking about it, you know, he has dabbled in sort of action comedy. He's dabbled in straight up action like Escape from New York. Assault on Precinct. Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Um, so, it's it is and it isn't. Like I think this is probably the uh, big trouble in Little China still remains like an outlier in John Carpenter's career. Would you Would you agree with that? No, I would. It's definitely even though you know he is known for his horror films, but he's done you know different you know genres. Like They Live's not a horror film. That's a- right, right. It's more of a like a science fictiony action yeah. sort of film. So, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, no, even still, I, even though this is like an, this is an action comedy at its heart, you know, if you're not even like specify it as like a Chinese mysticism, like kung fu type movie, mm-hmm. at its heart, this is an action comedy. Sure. And fantasy action comedy. Yeah. Because you do get some of those fantasy elements too, yeah. which we'll talk about later. But, um, I mean, yeah, no, it definitely does seem kind of weird, especially when you think about the films that he did right before this mm-hmm. with like The Thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like yeah. oh, close, clo- yeah, yeah, close to that time period. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly not Escape from New York's like stoicism and it's and it's seriousness. You know, for most of Escape from New York, it's like deadly serious. You know what I mean? There's, I mean, there are little bits and pieces of like jokes and kind of like one liners. I guess I would say. Well, maybe maybe Escape from New York actually was originally supposed to be a comedy, but Lee Van Cleef doesn't pl- play that shit. No. Lee Van Cleef kept everyone on their game. And probably in Donald Pleasance, too, was like, no, no thanks. Not doing the comedy <laughs> bit. Uh, just going to go straight for the the serious, you know, Broadway role. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I mean, I think it's, it, it is and it isn't outside of John Carpenter's scope. And I, I, you know, from what we've seen, he's really a fan of kung fu movies, Chinese mysticism. And it it shows in... in um, it shows in uh, Big Trouble in Little China that there is at least some research done into the ideas of kung fu movies and obviously influential films of the, the kung fu uh, filmography um, that that comes out in Big Trouble in Little China. And it's also kind of a parody as well. It, it There's there's those tropes that that pop up and it's it's almost like a humorous aspect to those that would normally be in a kung fu film well it's like a nice little love letter like mel yeah Bro- like, like mel- an homage like uh mel brooks with you know young frankenstein yep. and uh blazing saddles and uh yeah i think that's a per- that's actually a perfect example of like what what this would be like if you were trying to explain it to somebody who didn't really know what it was about and, but who knew Mel Brooks, I guess, <laughs> you know, they'd have to know that pr- prior to it. And they're like, well, I really know Mel Brooks's works, but you know, explain well, you, to me big trouble in little China. But if you don't know Mel Brooks and you get the hell out of America. Oh yeah. <laughs> Pulling po- a Steve Buscemi. Like if you don't like spaghetti and meatballs, you can get the hell out of America. Or go back and listen to our tribute to Mel Brooks that we did. Yeah. 30 mm, something episodes ago. Young Frankenstein. Has it been that long? Ago? It's been a while. Yeah. It's been, I mean, I know it has been, yeah. but I'm just... I mean, yeah, we're pumping out episode after episode. We're very prolific, so, and that's the good thing about our content. It's evergreen. Go back and listen. <laughs> Who cares if we're on episode eighty-one? Go back and listen to episode thirty-five. Well, you should be doing that anyway. You're that's a right. fan. You revisit. You like to revisit. I do that with like podcasts I listen to. Like, man, you know, that was a really good, funny episode. Oh, you I? you actually revisit episodes? Yeah. Interesting. Not, I mean, not for us. No, <laughs> no, we don't go back and listen to our own stuff. We barely listened to it the first time. So, uh, no, I, I don't go back and listen to our own stuff. But I, I can't say that I've ever gone back and listened to a, an episode again. But I guess, like, it would make sense, especially for us. Let's say you're watching Big Trouble in Little China and you heard this episode previously, and then you go back to rewatch it and then you l- listen to it again. And you say, wow, those guys are really smart. They picked out a lot of interesting things about Big Trouble in Little China. And then we say, Thank you very much, but yeah, that's why you're listening to us. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, no, no, that's exactly I, no, I, why we're on the airwaves. No, I definitely re-listen to like yeah some of my favorite podcast episodes because they're funny, especially yeah. like some of them that are video podcasts. So it's you know people are probably going back to listen to our episodes for your uh, impersonations. 
Yeah, they should. Justin Long. Do you have a Kurt Russell impersonation before we uh, take a break, get, get into the beer? Um, well, if people could see my old hair, then yeah, it would just be me. Oh, that is, that's, yeah, that's right. Martin used to have the Kurt Russell hair, and it was mostly Kurt Russell in the thing uh, style. It wasn't like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. You know, because you had don't the, have the you boots. had the full beard. I don't have the boots either. No, you don't have the boots here either. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start wearing tight jeans and cowboy boots. You know, that's a look that just never gets old. We definitely plan on covering the thing at some point. So you got to grow that beard back out, and then the picture for that episode is just gonna be you coming out of the freezer at your work with uh, snow in your beard. Or we'll have and to. Do we're the, gonna just have it. Yeah, we'll just have to do the thing when we get a blizzard up here. Yeah, know? that's and right. Just, yeah, and you, you, you go be, outside and, and I get done snow blowing and shoveling and just have a picture of me like. Yep. Because that there drink, was a picture just that be like, just be like drink this of you looking just like Kurt Russell in the thing. Hmm. And you should be drinking some some whiskey along with it. Or you, gasoline. Yeah, then, then you got the perfect, uh, perfect look. You're 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 a cosplayer at that point. I, you know what? I, I will go to some convention as Kurt Russell for Halloween. You should go as Kurt Russell. There you the go. Thing. I'll be Kurt Russell for Halloween with like uh, like I, the you know, syringe in the petri dish. Or well, something. you know, I also got told at work too because um, when I wear my face mask in the freezer, my mustache, like part of my beard sticks out. And at one point, my mustache, I mean, my mu- I haven't shaved my mustache in forever, so it's pretty thick. Mm-hmm. I don't mind saying. And it was sticking out, and I had like icicles on it. I had one guy say, like, I look like Kurt Russell in Tombstone. Okay. He's, he expected right. me to go, like, draw, boy! <laughs> and he's like, did you get the reference? I'm like, yeah, I've, I have seen Tombstone several times, and I love Kurt Russell, so thank you for the compliment. There you go. That was a compliment. That's nice. Why get to be Wyatt Earp. <laughs> all right let's take a break uh and we'll come back and we'll talk about the beer that we've got on the show today which doesn't really correspond with the chinese uh theme of big trouble in little china because we're, we're not gonna... good at pairing things yeah that's right we... we're the planning you know you know the planning actually fell to the wayside this week because we are recording early so um th- that was a part of the issue and also the other issue is i didn't think of it until last minute while we were watching the film mm-hmm. so that uh, sucks sucks for me and and you didn't think of it either so can't put all the blame on no because you know what? i was kind of thinking like what beer were they drinking in the movie but you don't they do drink beer quite a bit in this but you don't really and they this- reference miller light oh did they it's miller time she says she's uh when he first sees uh well King they- Cattrall's character well this movie was brought to you by puma and miller light yeah that's right <laughs> That's a big part of it. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I'm a, yeah. So they are drinking, but you don't get to see the labels on the bottles. You just get to see, you know, hey, yeah. beer bottles. Yeah, know. it's basically like green beer bottles. So it could be Qingdao. It could be. Yeah. Somebody's wearing a Qingdao shirt. So I don't, I mean, it's, it, who knows that, that it may not be what they're drinking, but it kind of looks like it. So, but we don't have that, unfortunately, but we'll be, we'll be back in a second uh, to talk about the beer that we do have on the show today. Stick around. guys welcome back we got some beer talk for you and this one i'm gonna admit was kind of thrown together the last minute (laughs) for this show as you already said that's right um i don't think people join podcasts halfway through they could you never know or maybe they just skip ahead and they get to our beer talk they don't know well they're assholes don't do that they're they're like i don't want to hear their intro they never really pertain to the show itself how how dare you have that thought tell them i'm gonna tell i'm gonna tell you right now 
Our intros are hilarious. Mm -hmm. Works of art. If you're listening to the intro <laughs> and you're not liking it, chances are you're probably not listening to the rest of the show. Um, if you're not li like enjoying Kurt Russell having a good guffaw, nice chortle. Yeah. Something's wrong with you. That's right. That's right. It's a good one. But today on the show, we have a non-Chinese beer. <laughs> Fits perfectly. It's actually a Mex Mexican beer. And it's a Vienna log. And it's, a, <laughs> yeah, apparently a Vienna lager as it's uh, categorized. And uh, I'm talking about Modelo Negro. Negra. Negra. Not Negra. What Negra. It, what was it saying? Modelo Negra. A Vienna lager makes sense if you know a little bit about Mexican yeah. history. Yeah. Just, I'm just saying. Yeah. You don't have to scoff at it. Like, no, I, 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 I'm just saying, I, I, I didn't know that without looking it up, that it was a Vienna lager. I mean, I wouldn't have suspected it to be. Like I said, right, I yeah. didn't suspect it either, but. Mm. But um, Modelo Negra is basically, I mean, it's the black Modelo. It's the, it's a darker style of the the original Modelo Cerveza. Which, for most beers, when they add the word dark to it, it means just, like, this is our better batch. Yeah, kind of. I mean... Not I, in the case of Heineken. Well, Heineken, I like Heineken dark, but it's mm. super heavy. i rather drink a Heineken. And beyond I, that, i rather drink a Heineken light. No, I agree. I, I like Heineken. I actually like those mini kegs of Heineken. I don't, because... I know you only, don't, but... Because it, it's too damn tinny. The only, yeah. I, I can't even drink Heineken in a can. I can't. It has to be bottle. I mean, I like Heineken quite a bit, um, but yeah, I can see what. Yeah, can, and I like Heineken dark, but it's pretty heavy. But I mean, that again is just a, an entirely different beer. It's definitely way different than Heineken. The Heineken no, I know. Dark with Modelo Negra, it's pretty similar to Modelo. Have you had Dos Equis Amber? Yes, I have. Um, I don't really, I don't have much to say about it. I, I. I can't say that I, like, remember a distinctive, like, taste to the, the Dos Equis Amber compared to, like, regular Dos Equis. Well, so, it, I, can, I, I can't... I, I haven't tried Dos Equis Amber. All I know is Dos Equis Regular. Yeah. It's just a very bland beer, and I'm very... Like, yeah. I'm like, I got... Felt like when I... The first time I bought it, I was swindled. Because yeah. those damn commercials are so great. <laughs> Even with the new most interesting man in the world. He's not the old one. But he's still pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had it. I can't say I can't compare it right now. I'd have to actually have it again because I don't, I don't really remember what it tastes like so much. But Wait, you drop nineteen dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. But this Modelo Negra, um, I like cervezas, and I think this is a, a really good beer uh, as a, a style of cerveza. I think I prefer it to regular Modelo. Actually, it's just got a little bit of a heavier body to it. Um. <laughs> I wouldn't say heavier. Yeah, maybe not heavier. To me, to me, it's more. It's sweeter. It's definitely you know. Mm -hmm. You can definitely tell it's a Vienna Lager just by like how like the by the, like you know the sweet characteristic of sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Um, which I do like because regular Modelo to me is just very unimpressive. It just I like it's and, and sometimes with those cervezas like Corona regular too, you run the risk of them being like strangely bitter, like strange. Uh, unappealing aftertaste to them, which is weird because again, like Corona is like usually the light beer is not better than the regular. It's the case with the Corona though. I think Corona lights a million times better than Corona. Yeah, same thing with, like Heineken. I mean, like I like regular Heineken, but I do think Heineken lights better mm -hmm. than Miller. Miller lights mm, thousand times better than High Life. Yeah, if you ask me, but I mean, but like with um, I mean, 
with uh, Corona Light, there's not that like bitter aftertaste to it. Same, but it's like yeah, it's not like watery. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, like and you I, imagine comparing like Bud to Bud Light. Yeah, like Bud's got no flavor. Bud Light has absolutely nothing to and offer I, you. I think with like Modelo Negra is that you're getting a little bit more of a body to it. Um, they categorize it as a medium body, which I would probably agree with. It's a, it's a medium bodied beer. Um, I'd still say it's pretty. It's light. It, I mean, it's light, but I would. Say it's definitely heavier than the mo- regular Modelo, and I I think I would I would uh, agree with a medium body. Um, and then they they say that it has slow roasted caramel malts, which I don't really have a. It's a stretch. Yeah, I don't I don't get a distinct caramel taste to it. I think it may add some of that sweetness to it. That that's you know yeah. it may add that sweetness that you're tasting. But it's not a malt. But it's not malty though at all. No, not not super malty. Um, I think probably most of the darkness comes from just uh, added coloring. Probably, and like I said, like for a beer that's you know negra, I you know thought like it'd be something a lot you know have a lot more body and maltiness to it. But this is a pretty light, very easy drinking beer. I think they're sticking to that cerveza formula that you you would think of in terms of like being able to drink it on a hot day. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying I thought, like, you know, because Heineken Dark's, like, way... And I haven't had yes. it forever. But I, from what I remember, compared it to was, regular Heineken, it had no hoppiness to the, it like Heineken does. It was all The day that we malt. drank the Heineken Dark... It was it hotter was, than malt. It was a hot day. <laughs> we were at a friend's party outside playing volleyball. Not the good, <laughs> not a good time to have that Heineken Dark. Um, I actually think I, I was sick the next day from drinking all of them, so... Um, and that was probably my bad <laughs> from drinking too much, but, uh, yeah, this, this doesn't have that same, you know, it's not super heavy. It's still light enough to easily drink. You pounded yours. Your, yours yeah. is gone by normally we're at least, you know, nursing one for, for this segment, but yours is gone. It's hotter than hell right now. So yeah, we, I mean... we record in a hot room. Uh, trust me, I'm working on that. I'm working on getting a house that's uh, has a, an area specifically for podcasting. So like a finished basement or something like that. Working on it. Um, but you know, don't know when that will be, but y- you could also chip in the money for the mortgage if you'd like for, oh. <laughs> am, I, am I getting my own room <laughs> or the Patreon page? Help <laughs> us pay the mortgage. Uh, yeah, but you know what I mean? It's funny. You joke about that, but I'm sure there's some people out there that have like, yeah, their page like Alex Jones, like Alex Jones, like no fuck Alex Jones. Don't constantly bring him up on this show. Constantly like, don't even bring t- up. telling people like. We're almost, we're, guys, thanks for the help. You keep us afloat. We're, every day we're on the brink of falling apart. So buy our, you know, my survival kit bull shark testosterone. Buy the, the rep, humans are reptiles shirt. <laughs> um, did, you, did you see that, like, John Oliver bit on him? No. Oh, it's great. I don't, I don't even want to talk about Alex Jones. It's great. It sucks. Doesn't even deserve any, any airtime on this show. But all right, so Modelo Negra, you said you wouldn't pick it up uh, no. if you were, you know, if you were just in the store seeing it. No, because for the, its price point, it's not worth it. It actually wasn't too bad, but it's solid beer nonetheless. Like no, it's good. I, it. I, I no, it's good. I like it. I was actually surprised surprised by how much I like it. But I mean, I mean, like I said, like for like how much Modelo usually costs, mm-hmm. I, I'd rather just buy like a twelve pack of Jenny Creamer. Light. I gotta say it's pretty solid with Mexican food because I did have it at a Mexican restaurant 
pretty good. Look at you. There's no fucking Mexican restaurants around here. Troy. It's my dream for one day, like, for somebody to open up an authentic Mexican restaurant around That'd here. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. We have, like, 30,000 Italian restaurants around here. Not one fucking Mexican How one. How about a uh, Mexican-Italian eatery? Combine both, best of both worlds. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? Get a cannoli and, you know. Ooh. I don't like cannolis. They're too sugary. No. Reminds me of diabetes. You're doing it wrong. I <laughs> Cannolis are delicious. Anyway, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Big Trouble in Little China. Stay with us. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about Big Trouble in Little China. And that's from John Carpenter who we talked about a little bit earlier, kind of a strange offering from him, especially considering the rest of his filmography, but uh, one that I appreciated, especially for the Chinese mysticism that's that's in this and not something that you get very often from like a Hollywood film. Um, and, and you were talking about a controversy that kind of came up around the same time that Big Trouble in Little China was released. Not really controversy. Yeah, I mean, it, but it was, uh, it was a, uh, an issue that John Carpenter had. You can go ahead and, you can go ahead and oh, lay well, that. The great Eddie Murphy movie at the time, uh, The Golden Child. Have you ever seen The Golden Child? No. Oh, I have. That came out around the same time. That was, you know, had like Chinese mysticism in it. And John Carpenter was to say, how many fucking films like this? And, I, and I'm paraphrasing. He didn't curse like this. But he's like, how many films like this have come out in like the history of Hollywood? Not that many. Why are there two of them coming out at the same time? That's a pretty odd coincidence at the, at the same time when you think about it, it kind of is it because the mid 80s was like a time of kind of more like eastern asian like inspired films like temple of doom came out before this yeah yeah and and i think that you do see quite a bit of resemblance to like an indiana jones like film an indiana jones film in this in this um which you after you watch this you could say like wow kurt russell could be indiana jones i see indiana jones i see a little bit of like star wars um and I see... I wouldn't agree with the Star Wars. I mean, I see, like, <laughs> Labyrinth a little bit. You know, there's that, all those kind of fantasy crossovers that you and the get. the 80s did have, like, especially the mid-80s, did have a lot of fantasy films. Yeah, exactly. Like Neverending Story. Sure, yeah, yeah. Princess Bride. Princess Bride, I see. Yep, quite a bit, you know, quite a bit of a resemblance there. Um, so, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not like this was totally uncommon for that time period. Um, maybe specifically Chinese mysticism, a little, uh, little coincidental, but, uh, they're, I'm, I'm assuming they're quite different, even though they do share like the thematic idea. I mean, I, I don't remember the golden child really at all. Cause it's been fucking forever since I've seen it, but yeah, I'm assuming that it's not that similar, even though it, you know, it has the Chinese mysticism aspect to it, but, uh. Which I think if I remember from that, that's like kind of like more like Indiana Jones too, where it's like, oh, we're gonna, you know, mm-hmm. definitely uh, a lot of uh, potential money making scenarios for copying the Indiana Jones franchise, um, as the which Alan in of itself Ca- is a copy, as the Alan Carter main <laughs> films can attest. <laughs> no, but a Big Trouble in Little China is, um, I think, from after watching this, an interesting premise simply because of how kind of off the wall it is 
It's a very crazy film. And really, it does not let up from the opening scenes of the film to, like, getting right into the crux of the plot and almost pretty much throwing the viewer and um, Kurt Russell's character, Jack Burton, into this ridiculous idea of, like, um, one... Uh, of uh, all of these like Chinese figures battling it out, it's kind of, it's kind of a crazy scenario. Yeah, it is, and it's cool. Like the, apparently, the original script, um, was supposed to be set in eighteen eighties western. Ah, now, but I, no, but they deemed it too crazy, too stupid, wouldn't work, and impossible. Well, it's interesting. So they hired like new writers to like make it more contemporary, and then. I mean, it's interesting because you can kind of see those ideas in play at certain points in the film. Um, that the opening scene where um, Jack Burton and um, his uh, his partner um, Wang are sitting in the in his truck, and they are like in the midst of a gang battle. That's sort of like gun blazing, sort of kung fu, you know, weaponry. That. A lot of that feels like part of a western. You know, you could you could kind of see or that warriors. or yeah, like a spaghetti western style standoff at first. You know, you you get that sort of like hand on the hip on the holster. Um you get it's it's like a, a weird mix of both ideas, but I think it works in this scenario because you're almost expected to see the homage in it. You know, you're supposed to see and and it and really you are as an audience member in that same position as Jack Burton, who's basically sitting in this truck in the middle of this gun, gun and Kung Fu battle going, what, what is that? Who's that? What, what, what is happening right now? You're kind imagine, of that same. Like, yeah. Just imagine Tom Cruise and the mummy, except, you know, better. Cause Kurt Russell is a thousand times better than Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, I think that <laughs> this film is um interesting in that Kurt Russell here is, not your stereotypical Kurt Russell. Right, not the same Kurt Russell that you think of when you think of The Thing, when you think of Escape from New York. Um, you know, this is Jack Burton is not Snake Plissken. He's a- essentially as far away from Snake Plissken as you can get with Kurt Russell in that role. Because Snake Plissken, he's like an everyman. He can do anything. You know, he, he's, he's well, Jack like, Burton's an everyman too. Well, Jack Burton's an everyman, but in, in big trouble in little China, he's essentially useless for a lot of the film. You know, it's, it's, he's, he's leading the way he's leading the charge. He's getting all the credit, but in a lot of scenarios, it's not him. It's, it's Wong. Yeah. It's actually, it's, he's not actually doing any of the work. And I think that's part of the joke is that, you know, he's getting everything in return for really not doing that much at all. And that's, that is an opposite of what Kurt Russell normally plays. Like here, he's kind of the, he's kind of the joke. He's the, the buffoon. The yeah. Buff- he's, he's the goofball of the troop. Whereas Wang, he's, you know, he's not really your typical hero, except he mostly is doing all of the work here. Well, no, he, he is too. Cause I, I think Wang does come off more as your typical hero. Cause he's the straight man. I don't know. I almost find that he's and he not... and, and he's invest. He's the one who's actually truly invested in this. Kurt Russell isn't. He just wants his damn money. Yeah, yeah, and his truck. So it, at the end, he he's. I mean, it's portrayed as Kurt's the hero and Wang's the sidekick, but in reality, it's Wang's the hero. Kurt Russell's the bumbling buffoon sidekick. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's an interesting premise. And like I said, it's definitely different from the Kurt Russell, John Carpenter movies. Because in most of those, like The Thing, Kurt Russell's kind of a standoffish guy. And he's leading the the charge, or I say charge, but I really mean he's leading like the uh, investigation into who's actually The Thing. In Escape from New York, he is not really... He's like an anti-hero in that sense. He's not really like a character that you always root for, but he he is your only avenue into like the actual, you know, he's not the same type of criminal that you would see on the streets of of New York that are that are in the precinct or in the precinct the the um pr- you know the city prison. Um but here he's definitely more of a comedic role. He is almost relegated to a sidekick status, as you said, even though he's meant to, he is our main character. Uh, I think that's really interesting. And I think you're right when you say that Kurt Russell plays this off really well, whereas some other people might not have, have come across as well as Kurt Russell does. He has a lot of range, even though he's given a more comedic role. You know, he's great as a serious role like Snake Plissken, but he's also really good in this. And I don't know at this time, how many people would have pegged Kurt Russell to be a good, you know, comedic character for the, for this type of film. I don't know how many roles he was getting that were, that are like similar to Jack Burton. Well, at the time he was still kind of like, you know, an indie guy. Yeah. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause it's funny when you think about it, when you like look back at like escape from New York and the thing, like, oh, they're considered classics and some of the best films within their genre of all time. It's not like they were big at the time. A lot yeah. of people, you know, like, eh, you know. Yeah, Escape from New York has really become more of a cult thing. Well, it's the same thing with this film, too. It's like yes, the same yeah. thing, like almost all John Carpenter films, you know, um, that like it takes, you know, years for people to be like, oh, yeah, you know, that was, that was something. I mean, I find it funny because originally, like, the studio wanted, like, Clint Eastwood or Jack Nicholson to do this. Yeah, that would be a, t- that would be a terrible pick. For this film. Oh, so I totally agree. Clint like, Eastwood in, would, in this scenario would, would be too dry. Yeah. Way too dry. I love Clint, but he would just be way too dry and miserable. And Jack would probably be hamming it up like way too much. Like Yeah, would not would not have been a good fit. I can't yeah. see Jack Nicholson in this at all. And I have a harder time with Clint. Clint Clint I could kind of see, but I think it would be a much more serious film. At that point, like, and then it would be totally ruined. Like, Big Big Trouble in Little China would not be the film that we know it as now because you would have that more serious role, you know, from Clint. And I think those jokes that occur around Jack Burton would fall flat. Because or they wouldn't, wouldn't really happen at all. Or, or, or they, they wouldn't happen. Because he'd probably be like, John, I'm not doing that shit. Right. Yeah. It would. It <laughs> what would is just, what is this bullshit that's happening? It would have been a completely different film, and probably, probably not that successful. And I would say probably not the cult film that it is now. It would inspire him later on to make Gran Torino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so plot wise, this is a very complex film in that there's a lot of things happening, and I feel like I, on purpose the storyline is sort of vague. You know, it's it's they're giving you a lot of this Chinese mysticism and throwing it at you really quickly. Well, it's funny you say complex. Is it's co- sounds like it's complex, but it's not complex at all. No, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, when you boil it down, it's the the idea is not complex. But the 
the surrounding plot points about it of there's this guy named Lopan and he's been stripped of his flesh in uh, an ancient curse and he's trying to get a girl with green eyes. There's two girls with green eyes. You know, there's a lot of things that occur in this film that really make it a lot more convoluted than it than it is. And I think that's to the film's benefit is that there's stuff going on and you're just kind of like trying to follow it. And you're in that same situation as Kurt Russell's character, Jack Burton, because he's also trying to follow this thing and then seeing people with electricity shooting out of their hands and wearing <clears throat> crazy straw hats and uh, people fighting with green mist and stuff like that. And you're it just... makes me think of Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat. When, oh like, my god, it's, when, it's very similar to when, Mortal Kombat. When, when in the, the Mortal Kombat film, where like you know after they get on the ship to head to... Uh, Shang Tsung's island for the tournament, and he sees Shang Tsung like summoning souls and scorpion spear and Sub Zero's ice. He's like, "I just saw ice and lightning coming from this guy. What the hell is going on?" It's, li- it's literally they took that from you know this movie. Like they're ex- trying to explain all the Chinese mysticism and sorcery and black magic to you know Kurt Russell, and he's just like, "What the hell's going on? Where's my truck? Why none of this makes sense?" This is nonsense. I'm going home. Where's my money? You know what? Basically, Big Trouble in Little China is the story of a man in love with his truck and trying to get it back. Well, his truck's (laughs) his job. If he doesn't have his truck, he can't make money. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's the the whole, there's a a love triangle or a love relationship between uh, Jack Burton and Gracie Law, who's played by Kim Cattrall. But really, it's, she's no match for this man in his truck. Because that's that's the real love story here. Or his hair. Re- reuniting uh, Kurt Russell with his truck. Making sure that he has his CB radio <laughs> so he can tell his... Uh, Could have been Convoy, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, lo- I love uh, trucker Kurt Russell. It's great. You got the trucker hat. Yeah, he's got a trucker hat. says Harley Davidson on it. Another, uh, I guess, another advertisement. This film is full of advertisements. Just kind of thrown in there. Harley Davidson, Miller Lite, Puma, which is a weird, kind of a weird uh, part of the film, just a Puma truck out of nowhere. I know, it just cuts them off, and you like get like this, like cl- like focuses on that truck for like five seconds, like just in case you didn't know, Puma. Hey, John Carpenter needed funding. I can't fault him there. Well, it is a Hollywood film. Yeah, probably went over budget, so they're like, who can we get mad? Like you know, it was all that uh, the special lightning effects, which. In 1985, we're not easy to do. Uh, was that like probably rotoscoped? Probably. There, it was not an easy task to insert lightning into films at that time. But it looks great. It does look, yeah, it does look <laughs> cool in this film. Um, it's not. I'm, I'm pretty sure it had to have been. They yeah. probably had to rotoscope it. Yeah, and if you like, I've watched a couple of other films with this sort of lightning effect in them, and they did say it is not easy to do that sort of effect, especially in Big Trouble in Little China. I could just imagine because it's a a big part of the film. There's a lot of like little tendrils of lightning and stuff like that. I'm sure it wasn't easy to put that in there. Um, it was more of like a stylistic choice. Just just imagine like. Okay, this guy can summon lightning and, you know, and rides it and shoots it, you know. Again, you can see, like, the inspiration that it had, like, on Mortal Kombat. For Raiden. Yeah, for, like, yeah. Raiden. I mean, and, they, I, and Low Pan being Shang Tsung. They and, absolutely look a lot like those guys. They look like Raiden. Yeah. You know, three three Raidens. But, I mean, so you had, like, the one that could, you know, control and manipulate lightning. I imagine someone, like, seeing, that, like, like, the idea on it, like, 
can you make it fire and fire's a lot easier yeah, to do <laughs> yeah we can do we can do fire like uh, wind wind would be even better because you don't have to do anything just make them go whoosh you know yeah can, can you do that no he's gotta be lightning oh fuck okay well there goes a third of the budget and a lot of you know time okay whatever you know right. let me add six more months to production on this yeah, yeah i mean and honestly big trouble in little china has quite a few effects in it and uh, is almost kind of like a precursor to a lot of things. We talk about Mortal Kombat, uh, Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball. Um, so, you know, definitely a similarity there, which was, I think... Well, Dragon Ball was going on at the time. Dragon Ball was 1986? I think it was... Was it that early? I thought it was a little bit later than that. But maybe, it might have been. I think, it, I think it Maybe might I'm be. wrong. Um, I know the manga. Yeah, the manga had it then. It was early. I know that. Um, Dragon Ball Z was in the 80s, so Dragon Ball would have been around that time. I don't know exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, but very a lot of similarities to that. You know, and and certainly I'm assuming inspiration from for, for Big Trouble in Little China also came from anime and manga as well. Because um, you, you get a lot of that influence. It's kind of, you know, it's interesting to think about that because... It's an amalgamation. Well, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z in the United States... Didn't really make it that big until way later. But it had been out for a long time. Even things like Yu Yu Hakusho. Way later in the United States than it was in Japan. Like seven, eight years. Yeah. And and uh, when you think about it with Big Trouble in Little China, not that, not that earlier than some of those huge anime shows that we, we didn't get to. Well, if you think about later. it, the only anime really that was airing at the time was Robotech. Yeah. Which isn't technically what they ended up doing was taking three different anime series and, and then cutting them together and to make it making one. a uh, monster. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, like if you're like an American a- anime fan of the '80s, that had to have been hell. Like, to, like trying tape- to find anything. And... Yeah, like you'd be tape trading, like, like you know, like oh how, yeah, like you used to be like wrestling, like oh I heard of Cactus Jack and. Terry Funk had a great match in, like, Japan. It was a death match. How'd you get it? Yeah, this shitty copy, like, on VHS I had, like, you know, trade ten different times to get to. But I could also see, like, if you were an anime fan in the 80s and Big Trouble in Little China was coming out, you were probably psyched. Because you could see the inspiration in this. You can see the, uh... This is almost like an anime come to live action or even, like, a video game. You know, in terms of, like, you have multiple boss battles. It's it's very much in that same scenario of like when they're first infiltrating the um uh low pans like court I I don't know what it is like a f- building I don't know it's some sort of like exchange ex- yeah some sort of they, like they factory in, building they thing. bring in ex- exotic things from the east yeah and uh, you know they're they're infiltrating that and they they, they get out they got to go back. They have to fight, you know, sub bosses before they get to the main boss. It's it's it is very much like a video game in that sense. And it's like uh, Streets of Rage, yeah. And it's and it's very entertaining in that sense because you do. It, there's never really a let up to it either because you you are consistently within like an action uh, scenario. There may be some sort of exposition, and most of that's delivered by either Wang or uh, Egg Shen. And Egg Shen is really like a Donald Pleasance character in this film. He's very much of the the John Carpenter type of like the guru. We even give him the like Donald Pleasance eye. Yep, Donald Pleasance eye. It's very much like a, a Donald Pleasance character who knows everything and is uh, relaying it to the main characters. Um, so it's pretty interesting how that works out too, because it's kind of like that stereotypical John Carpenter, um, 
idea, storyline. But um, I guess we, have, we haven't really talked about like some of the weirdness of the film besides like those characters they can do magic and they can they have electricity shooting out of their hands they can shoot green uh beams and fly and things like that but we haven't talked about some of the other place things like the uh one of the monsters that's in it which is kind of just there in the film <laughs> yeah it's it's <laughs> like it's almost like a, a monster that just pops out of nowhere it, but it, that, it, that makes sense though cuz like again like you just like said about like the magic the magic's not explained it's just why are they able to do this? Chinese mysticism, sure, yeah. legends and myths, yeah. and that's it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I'm which is in it, which can... no, and it's not a bad thing because do you really, do you really want to be bogged down in like a twenty minute part where like explain like they had like a like yeah, it's like if they remade it today because this is an under two hour film. So if it was made to be, today, it'd be a two hour plus film. They'd have a whole twenty minute section just like dedicated to like a flashback of like Lo Pan fighting the first Chinese emperor, then getting cursed, and that you know. Makes him immortal, and he has to seek, you know, to marry a woman with green eyes to make him a flesh and blood to atone for his sins. And this is how all the magic works. I was actually thinking there was going to be, it was going to be like two hours. But it's a very truncated hour and 40 minutes, and I think that's perfect. It's perfect for the film. You don't need any more. Like you said, you don't need all that backstory. You don't need an explanation about why they have Chinese magic. They just do. It's uh, Chinese mysticism. You go with it. If you're not, if you're not open to going with that idea, then you shouldn't be watching Big Trouble in Little China because it it, you, it doesn't need it. You just, well, you just no, go with the flow. No, it's like, I mean, the, big, the biggest example would be like the original Star Wars. What's the force? What's the force? Yeah. It's just, it's a powerful force that controls all it's of nature. Midichlorians. Okay, yeah, no, and then it's like, you add that, it's like, all right, George, you ruined it. Yeah. No, but uh, <laughs> I think that, I think it really works, especially because it, for the audience, you're basically the same as Jack Burton. You're in the same situation. Jack Burton doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He doesn't need to know why there's Chinese mysticism. And if he's running for his life. And even if you wanted to tell him, do you think he'd care? No. No, he, he, wouldn't, really he care. wouldn't care. He just wants his truck and his money. So it doesn't matter what's going on. He just wants to get that stuff and get out of there and not deal with the rest of it. So I think the monster works. I, I don't... I'm not... I'm not saying that I don't, I, you know, I wish that it wasn't in here. I think it's a funny moment. It's almost like a Scooby-Doo moment when Kim Cattrall <laughs> is uh, pulled into this... Uh, I know, total dumbass, leaning like, yeah. the back of the pack to like escape from the building. Like this little vault way opens and like, hey, and like, so I just go like, no, I'm going to get the hell out of here. She's like, who made? Like, you know, looks in there and then gets pulled in. It's well, like, what's also stupid is she's supposed to be the, like the following up with the train which they have yeah. like a like a train going to make sure that everybody's okay so for her to get pulled in at the end of it is like she that was a total dumb move for her but anyways it is like a scooby-doo moment almost where you know he's he's standing behind a statue looking through the statue's eyes yeah poor and, daphne's getting you know yeah daphne's what? stolen again yeah it's uh it's definitely a fun moment so i don't think that the monster doesn't work in the film it's just funny to see that it's here and you also have the the like eyeball creature, the yeah, the weird eyeball creature that's kind of just there and um part of part of the film adds that fantasy element that we were talking about a little bit. Um, and doesn't really and the fucking worm. Oh yeah, and, and, a, and, a, worm and a worm thing insect takes, thing that comes just, just comes out of a hole and takes somebody and eggs and just like ash throws like a. Like a sorcery grenade at, like, you know, like, oh, it never to be seen from again. And Kurt Russell's like, what the hell was that? And like, don't worry about it. 
Yeah, and and that's a you know that's a, a moment that never comes up again. I know it's just fucking it's just hilarious. One just like, one and done. Just you know, John Carpenter was like, we need we need something here. And like, throw throw an insect worm in there. That'll that'll be perfect. Prelude to tremors. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean those moments are good because again, like I said, there's no let up here. So even in those scenes where. Not really anything's happening. It seems like they're safe. You have those moments where random things pop up. And it makes sense, too, because they're importing weird goods. And part of those weird goods are probably a monster and an eyeball guy. <laughs> you know, There's no explanation, and it's and it's not needed. Um, one thing that I think is, is interesting is that there's that... Uh, there's two women with green eyes in this film. Kim Cattrall's character, Gracie Law. And uh, the, the main... Uh, woman that's that's the woman with the green eyes that uh lopan wants to make into his mistress slash sex slave slash whatever she's going to be mao yin um and that's kind of an interesting idea too is that he only needs one green-eyed woman to uh make sure that the curse is lifted so that he can become flesh and blood but he's he's gonna have two anyway you know he's gonna that's pretty pr- pretty nifty idea too because they do bring it up like because if you think about it, probably like ancient China, they think like, what are the chances of somebody being born here that has green right. eyes? Yeah, green <laughs> eyes. They say women don't have green eyes in China. Yeah. So that's a, you know, it's a pretty clever, you know. It is. And, you know, Kim Cattrall's not Chinese, but he's he's open to it. She's a sexy lady anyway. I just love how he's just like, like he's just like so pessimistic about relationships. Like, we keep trying, though. They always lead us to our demise. Yeah. Bitches. <laughs> it's fucking just, like, hilarious. Like, oh, you know, old man, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Lopan's a fun character, for sure. <laughs> you know, he's get, getting ready to, like, marry Meow Yin. He's like, oh, you know, come on, my dear. It won't hurt. It'll be fine. He's like, no, get away. He's like... No, like, it won't be bad at all. She's like, ah, stop it. And he's like, bitch! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she is like that. Uh, one thing that I think is really interesting is um, Mao Yin, who's really, she's the main conceit in this film, uh, played by Susie Pai. She really doesn't have a whole lot of uh, stuff to do on screen. She basically lays around and... Well, because she's the MacGuffin. Yeah. She's a living MacGuffin. But, uh, but what, one thing that really... Um, I thought was interesting was that she doesn't even like get any speaking roles or anything. This was a really laid back role for Susie Pye, who didn't really actually do that much. She didn't do very many movies. Just, just be sleeping. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you know it was just basically the fact that she had they could use her as green eyes. She's 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 pretty. She's a she's good on camera, and just make sure that you are pretty relaxed on screen the whole time. And that was that was uh, the the amount of direction that John Carpenter gave her. Um, Kind of an interesting role for her. Wonder how how much she was uh, happy with that role, just like not doing anything. Don't got paid, Susie. You're uh, you're overacting here. <laughs> just just don't do anything. Corpse. Yeah. <laughs> More corpse like. Lay on the slab, please. Um. All right. So uh, plot wise, anything else that you want to discuss before we get into other stuff? No, I mean it's, it's we covered quite a bit. It's a it's a fun it's fun plot. I, the I will say, bring it up. Exposition's usually not a good thing. This film does it great though, because it's very on the nose, because it's trying to. 
Like, literally, like, all the stuff that's, like, needs to be explained is explained to you word for word. Like, you're an idiot because that's how it's supposed to be. And I like that. Like, and, and like, what's going on? Oh, it's the gangs. They're fighting. What gangs? And it's like, oh, these gangs, they've been doing this forever. Why? Oh, here's why, you know? Yeah, and that dialogue is very snappy, too. Yeah. and It's very quick and snappy because it's almost at the beginning of the film. And it goes throughout the entire film. It does, but, I mean, but there's, a like, a moment at the beginning where... Um, Jack and Gracie and Wang, they're all in his restaurant and there's a snappy scene, this very quick and fast paced scene where everybody's kind of delivering this information to and we're meeting, Jack Burton. And we're meeting characters too. Like, and it's like, who the hell are you? You know, like, like yeah, literally, we're like, Eddie. Like, like all, like all of a sudden you get Eddie and like the news writer there and you're like, wait, who, like, who the hell are you? Like, oh, this is why I'm here. You're like, don't you know? Like, oh, okay. Then who the hell are you? You know? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fun moment. I think that's a. Um, a really excellent scene because it is so fast paced. I imagine that's a that's difficult to actually film. You know what I mean? To actually get that right, to it's get the slap, pacing right. It's slapstick with words. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah, and know, it's it's, like... it's good. And surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, I should say, but I think um, Kim Cattrall does a really good job in this film. I think she's is a fun character and really hits all those notes pretty well. Though a little wooden. You think so? Yeah. I feel like it's almost a uh, part part and parcel of her character, though. Like even her name, Gracie Law, is almost like a play. But on... I know. I mean, well, yeah, like, like the stereotypical. I mean, like I mean, I think like towards the end, like you know, she gets better. But I think at points in the beginning, she's a little wooden on like her delivery. Hmm. I don't know if it's intentional or not. I, th- but... I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Like I didn't find any fault. I'm not in saying it. it's like bad, but I'm just saying like. Could have had a little more pep, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. I, it, see, I can see it both ways because I can see that it's intentional in terms of like just a kind of a wooden character, and even you know th- th- that's kind of hinted at too. In that Jack Burton, he's he kind of sees that too, and it's only he, she's only just like a a love interest for a second. You know, it's it's almost like well, you're here, you're a female body, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which uh, is great, which is great. Again, like I love like the film, like understanding what it is like at the end and like she like suggests like maybe we you could get a bigger truck and big enough for two and he's like nah and he's like getting ready to leave and like Are, you're not gonna kiss her goodbye and he's like nope yeah and then just you know yeah it totally gets that in that yeah. the hero gets the girl and he doesn't care you know this yeah. isn't a james bond film where christmas, james bond is working through uh christmas doesn't come twice he didn't know christmas comes twice a year yeah um and then also it by also, the way, by the way, that took me quite a while to hop on that joke. Eight year old me didn't quite understand. Didn't, didn't that. get that one. No. Um, and then the other thing too is that the film's not afraid to make a mockery of Kurt Russell's character either, because there is that scene where they both uh, Jack Burton and um, and uh, Kim Cattrall's character Gracie make out, and it leaves Jack Burton with a set of a nice uh, set of lipstick on his lips. Oh, that's great. That he Him just continues per- to, yeah. uh, you know, until deliver, she, deliver until, macho uh, dialogue lines. Until she like, you know, literally has to look here and like wipes it off. Yeah. It's a, it's a great moment. And I like that about John Carpenter is that he's not afraid to make his, you quote unquote macho character into kind of a, a mockery, like you know, into the joke. Well, again, like he's got like you know they're getting ready for the big fight scene. What's he do? He fires his gun off, you know, like ah, and then he shoots debris, like you know, 
has debris fall on his head and like he's knocked out for like, a couple of minutes for the fight. I do like that it's not as lighthearted and over the top as some other films that really do make a mockery of their hero, like that are that are almost that are more so like a sarcastic parody. This isn't overall a a total parody of like the hero character, but it isn't afraid to make fun of him. And I like that about this film rather than some of the more lighthearted fare. Um speaking of lighthearted, I really like the John Carpenter Alan Howarth um soundtrack in this because it has those moments of you know 80s uh soundtrack songs you know especially the escape or the um big trouble in little china theme song which is just an artifact of 80s songwriting uh it's almost it's like the reminds me of the kirby theme yeah, kind of Kirby, 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 Kirby. Yeah, like I like the you know Fox Kirby cartoons, like Kirby, 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 Kirby. Lyrics are just like Big Trouble in Little China, Big Trouble yeah. in Little China. Doesn't really go little, much deeper. Yeah, than a that. little synth more like Big Trouble in Little China. No, but I, what I like about it is actually the uh, the more uh, plotting synth scores when there's action there's action scenes. Because they almost feel like Escape from New York style, you know, synth lines. They're more serious. And then you have that Asian flair to them. And I like that. I think that's a good mix. You know, Escape from New York's synth lines, they work really well. Because that is a very serious film. And you have that sort of melancholy synth line dangers around every corner sort of it's almost kind of the synth kind of is like almost kind of reminds me of like the caribbean kind of sound like from uh day of the dead yeah not uh, not quite because day of the dead is very much you know way skewing to this but this kind of has like you know kind of like a tone like that yeah and i i can see that i i like it quite a bit i like the soundtrack no i do too um i think it has some some good moments and and gets you gets your b- blood pumping like. it does yeah you know it has those um Ma- again and again makes you think like mortal Kombat. i'm sure dan ford and he's like scoring like those early mortal Kombat games is like you know like yeah you know let's get like something like the theme for this you know yeah it's it's got it the it's the pacing of the synth that's kind of like upbeat and you know fast paced and you know fingers are moving on the on the keys i think that's what we get from um this score and it works well. It keeps the film feeling fast-paced, along with the plotting, which just continues to go and go and go. Um, and I think it works. So, uh, what else? What else you got? What haven't we talked about yet? Actors, besides Kurt Russell and King Patrol. Yeah. Um, I think the cast in this is very good. A lot of you know not well known actors because yeah good on this film for actually going with the with the chinese Chinese actors you know chinese american cast this isn't a fu manchu film with christopher lee and the uh, which i guess when like originally when the carpenter like was editing some of the bits of the script he took out some of the more racist parts he's like this isn't fucking this girl friday and you know Ah, you know, shit like that. Like, yeah, because you know, I you could totally see how this would skew towards a more 
racist approach, especially from white directors and writers, um, you know, in, perhaps not even realizing that some of it was racist, but it doesn't really, even now, it doesn't feel racist in, in that it's mocking Chinese uh, films or anything like that. It's actually, it's just, like I said, sometimes it skews more towards parody, um, but I don't think that's like offensive. I just think that it's a fun tongue in cheek poke at some of the Kung Fu films of, you know, the seventies and, and stuff like that. Um, even like those action scenes where people are, you know, uh, <laughs> Wang and um, some of the other guys like thunder and lightning, they're jumping in the air, like dolphins, ju- like jumping and fighting with swords. Uh, I know it's great. It's, it's, over the it's, top. it's over the top, but it's not offensive and it's not like they're making fun. They're just, they're just like, a parodying like well, no, but it's also supposed to, but it's also supposed to be fun yeah it's, it's like a, you'd expect a, what you're assuming to be like godlike beings to be able to jump long you know distances and have that how Wong's able to do it who the hell knows <laughs> he just manages chinese so. mysticism was it the drink that they had before that Maybe made he's like i feel drink. you know yeah. like, i feel better i feel like invincible i could take on anything who knows you don't need to know. Yep. It's just the fun of what's going on with the action sequence. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think Wang's really good. He's put by Dennis Dunn. Uh, good. You know, even though he's he's technically really the hero of this film, he does play a good sidekick as well. And I think I think he works out well. He, he's he's the knowledgeable guy, and he's the straight man. The straight man. Yep. He's, he's good. Um, I think James Hong is good as Lopan as well. He's great. He's uh very, very menacing. Yeah, very menacing and sinister. Uh, sometimes funny, like you mentioned when he's talking about how much he loves Mao Yin, and then she does something to him, like she she offend him. Yeah, she's like bitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's very funny in that sense. Um, great but, makeup they have for like his ghost and his um old decrepit form. Yes, yeah, the burn like the sort of burning, uh, skin look to him. That's that's that is good. Uh, I think that Egg Shen, Victor Wong, is uh, pretty good as well. He can often play the comedic aspect to, to it, uh, recognizing the humor in his character as being sort of that wizened guru. Um, so that works. Uh, actually, and in, in surprisingly, Kate Burton as Margot, the reporter, though her character is sort of unnecessary in this film, she does a good job with it. Um, I, with some of her more humorous notes, you know, just talking about how it, I think it, the film actually pokes fun at how useless she is as a as a person, you know, in this and fight she's, and a random love interest for Eddie. Yeah, just, just like just out of like the blue, like oh. yeah, out of nowhere, they're just like, well, I like her and she likes me. So just remi- it reminds me of like um, The Witcher Three, where you know. Um, after the Battle of Kaer Morhen, the pissy witcher. Mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name. Yeah. And the one sorceress, like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're together. Now. We're together. Yeah. Oh. It's funny how those things happen in the heat of battle. <laughs> um, other than that, I would say that there's not really anybody else that stands out. For acting, that's pretty much the main cast. Um, one thing that we have to commend, though, are the uh, 
the, the um, stunt crew who did all of the crazy explosion jumps. Oh, I love that. That <laughs> is a trope for me in action films that I hope they bring back. Uh, yeah. I love nothing more in like an action film, even if it's like grounded, just like when explosions and gunfires, just like them just jumping. Like, you know. Right, like, like I said, like what I was telling you, we were watching like one of the great like parodies of that is like the Austin Powers films. So it's like uh, they're raiding Doctor Evil's base, and all the henchmen just getting blown to shit off you know balconies and whatnot, flying fifty feet. Realistically, if an explosion goes off, you're either getting shredded by shrapnel, or your legs are taken out, and you're just fucking lying on the ground holding stumps, and and screaming out in agony. In these types of films, these action films from the eighties. You have explosions and just guys flying into the air in uh, in like a crazy fashion, thrown up into the air fifty feet. But then they land and they're okay. They're they're fine. That would that's a much better scenario for an explosion. I would prefer that. I'd prefer to just get thrown in the air and be like, well, you know, that was a fun ride. You know, explosions. I'll do it again. At least you can brace yourself when you're like going. For yeah, exactly. Back. You just do it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's you know, but props to those stunt guys who had to perform all those uh, explosion maneuvers. Other than that, do you think Kurt Russell did most of his stunts? I think so. Probably. It he seems looks like, like it. he looks like a man who he would just, do his. He just does his own stunts. Yeah, it's not like there was a like a lot of stunts for him to do in this film. Like he doesn't have that many that are crazy outlandish. I found I found it funny too. The whole him on the wheelchair going down. Oh, yes. That, that huge grade. It's like, yeah, because he's not going to tip over ass over tea kettle on the way down. Yeah. He's just, you know. That that reminds me, too. What? I don't understand the uh, physics of him pulling himself up from the from the uh, giant well that he's yeah, like, leaning over. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, I'd be fucked. I don't have the arm, upper body strength. No, I don't even <laughs> understand the physics of it, though. How are you doing that? What is he doing to pull himself up? I don't, I don't get it. It just looks cool. Chinese looks cool. mysticism. Looks cool. It does look cool. Made him look like a beefy man. No, he is a beefy man. You don't have to. You don't have to see him do something. You can just look and you know. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Uh, a little bit more about the effects because we only briefly talked about it with like the lightning. Um, effects in this film are great. Like the like the makeup, mm-hmm. um, I said like uh, low pants makeup for when he's a ghost and when he's um, in his old decrepit form looks absolutely great. Um, I like you got the very famous head popping. Oh yeah, which again, why does he do that when he sees low pan? Like all of a sudden decides to like self destruct. Who, Who knows? knows? He commits suicide. Just looks cool. Yeah. Um, I would say that I I think that the monster is probably the weak special effect in this film. Well, it just like, basically looks like a guy running around in a suit with a mask on. Yeah, but but I, I'm not. That, that doesn't bother me. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I mean, that was, again, like they probably like we said, they probably just like that was a last minute thing. Like, let's have a monster. Yeah, throw it, throw it in there. So we need the, a we so need a the, scare for so the at, end. Yeah, so at the end we can be like, oh, he's on the truck. Yeah, that is a really random moment for him to just be for the monster to be on the truck at the end. 
You'd think, like, the way the film starts off with its egg shed in, like, the lawyer's office. Yeah, that is... That, like, it would, like, come... It would all circle back to that, and... Yeah, and it totally doesn't. It just no. kind of leaks that out. <laughs> no. It's just like, here's the first opening part of the narrative, and then we'll forget about the rest of the lawyer stuff. Which is... Uh, it does, again, that first part may, seems like maybe when they premiered the movie for, like, a test audience... People were kind of confused as to how it all began or something. So they were like needing to add a scenario to the beginning. And it seems kind of, I don't know, random how that takes place. But I don't know. It's not a big deal to me. I could forget about it. Should we rate the film? Sure. Why not? Give it a rating. Um, All right. So out of out of 10... Mm. What do I want to? What do I want to give this? Mm. Out of ten. Hmm. I don't know. Out. Uh, out of ten hauling ass truck decals. <laughs> uh, what would you give? Big Trouble in Little China. I'd give it an eight out of ten. I like this film a lot. It's a very fun film. It's probably Carpenter's funnest film. Hmm. Um. Yeah, like I said before, I can't really see him now. Doing a film like Big Trouble in Little China. Seems like more of a crotchety old guy. <laughs> Not into any, having any fun. Um, but no, I think um, I think it's really fun. Um, the premise is outlandish and goofy. But it works really well. Um, I think the action in this, though, compared to a lot of action films, especially at the time, kind of underwhelming. It's still fun. Um, I think Kurt Russell was fantastic in this. Would lo- you know? Definitely gets to show his comedic range. Like the whole intro is like of him like being dressed up and you're like, oh geez, oh, oh. ah yeah, oh, money's no object, you know. That yeah, really that's... good, really good. Um, I think the cast overall in this film is very good, especially James Huang as Lopan. Um, and Victor Wong as Egg Shen. It's just a really fun, good film. It's very enjoyable. If you like action comedies, I think you'll like this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I, I think I would go right in that same range. I can it. see how this became a cult classic. I could see oh, this sure. totally how it would not work at the box office, but years later. Especially when people picked it up on like VHS and then shared it around. Like, yeah, hey, this check would probably, this out. This is a fun film. Yeah, you know? probably when like if you know think about the days of the video store, like, you look at the box art for this on like VHS. You're like, what is this? This looks interesting. Oh yeah, I and can, then be I, like, oh, it's a really good I, fun. I can film. see it, and I can see it by word of mouth. Like people may not have been, you know, wooed by it at the theater, but word of mouth, people seeing it and saying like, this is really fun. You know, it reminds you know reminds me of like old style kung fu movies and stuff like that. I can definitely see how it would would prosper on home video. Uh, but I would be right there with you with the rating. I'd give it an eight out of 10. I've never seen it before, but I think it was a lot of fun, really fast paced. Um, love the John Carpenter Allen Howarth, uh, soundtrack. Kurt Russell's a blast in this, uh, definitely gets to flex his comedic muscles here. And I think that it works really well. I don't really, I don't see a lot of other people being able to pull it off like he does in this. Um, surprisingly thought that, uh, all the rest of the cast, the secondary crew and and, and cast were were uh, really good as well. Even though they're pretty much not not well known, um, Kim Cattrall is I thought was really good. Um, 
I'll say it is one of her better roles because I'm not a big Kim Cattrall fan. No, I think she does a, a, a fine job with it. Um, you know, it fits with her, the character in here with the emerald green eyes and, and stuff like that. Um, so I thought I thought she did a good job here too. And um, I think that overall, it's just a really fun film. If you like kung fu movies, you like more of the um, the action films of the 80s, especially like we talked about Indiana Jones films. Uh, some of the more fantasy uh, situated films of the eighties, like Labyrinth and and uh, you know some of the other Never films, Ending Never Ending Story. In that vein, uh, you're definitely going to like this. The Golden um, Child. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, you're definitely going to like this, and uh, definitely check it out too if you've never seen it. But you're a big John Carpenter fan because I think you'll see a different side to his work. That's kind of important uh, in terms of like viewing his artistic contributions to this film. This is the say this is the film that got him out of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, he said I've had enough of this bullshit. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean I'm going to start doing independent films. Yeah. I think it's definitely a lot different than what you might see from some of his other films. So it's 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 important to check it out and see, you know, some of the other influences that uh obviously made an impact on him in his career. Uh so I guess uh with that that's it. Escape for, or, uh, I keep saying that. Big, big Trouble in Little China. Fun film. I'm glad I saw it. It's like you gotta escape from New York in the mind. That's right. As well, if that's the next film you want to do. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I just see the. I see it on IMDb, so that's that's what's uh, kind of making me say that. But what is the next film that we're doing? I don't know. What's next week? Not September. All right, so, <laughs> so we're not announcing our big special Halloween uh, series yet. So we got one more week to fill. Um, hmm, that's a good question. We'll have to think about it a little bit because I don't really want to do another action film. Um, as long as you don't pick fucking Mako. No, uh, you you can rest assured we're never doing <laughs> Mako again. So you mean to tell me there isn't a delicious sequel for that? No, I mean, there's tons of shark movies that we could do if you want to do another no, shark movie. No, I don't, no. We could, you can't, uh, you can't. We could go with uh, Piranha. <laughs> Fuck James Cameron, no. We could go with um, Tentacles, the octopus movie. Uh, hentai? No, no. We could, uh, we could do another Dario Argento film, Phenomena. That just re- is releasing on Blu-ray in a regular edition from Synapse Films because they released like a special, um, like packed steelbox edition. But this is the regular edition. Mm. We could do that. Phenomena. Hey. We, we did Tenebrae. It would make sense. We'll see. All Who right. knows? Who knows? It's it's another mystery. Maybe we'll come back and do a Disney movie. That would be fun. Moana. Can do a uh... Mulan. No, I was thinking something more topical. Uh, Song of the South. Okay. <laughs> have you ever seen Song of I the South? I have not. Okay, then I guess you don't get the joke then. I don't. You'll have to look it up. All right. That's the one that has zippity doo on it. Gotcha. Yeah. Zippity day. Yeah. I know how the song goes. <laughs> my oh my, it's a hot fucking day. Yes. All right. Uh, time for administrative stuff. We are, um, as always, on Facebook. And Twitter, yeah, Twitter is at Blood and Black Rum. You can tweet us on there, retweet us, follow us. 
You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and in pretty much any other podcasting app that you use. Please leave us a review and uh, rate us five stars if you would. That helps us out tremendously. We are on uh, SoundCloud. That's where we, our episodes go up first. Um, we have an email address, bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, so write to us, and we may read your comments on this show. And we also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. If you feel the need to donate to us and help us out, we really appreciate it. You can donate whatever you want. It comes out monthly. Just keep that in mind. Uh, also, visit, visit us at our website, bloodandblackrumpodcast.wordpress.com. Or you can also visit cultsploitation.com, which is our podcast network. And if you're interested in joining, please hit us up down there and let us know. And we would love to have you as a friend. <laughs> All right. So we will be back next time with an unspecified movie, probably a horror movie. And until then, take care and we'll see you next time. Have fun.